This is Invite to Game Night, a podcast for the hospitable board game lover, or anyone desiring to curate a richer board game experience. My name is Alexis Harrison, and I invite you to join me as we explore together what makes board gaming wonderful. Welcome to the table. I'm Gordy Harrison, joining Alexis, and today we want to talk about what it means to create a winning experience for everyone that you've invited to game night. We want to talk about some games that we've been playing recently and try out a little bit of a new format there, and I know that we've got something a little bit longer planned for our icebreaker question today. Without further ado, let's dive into it. For our icebreaker question, what is the craziest thing that you've either done or had happened to you? So crazy, people might not believe it. Alexis? Well, you're very familiar with this story because you were there, but I'm claiming it as my own for today. It was back in 2017 when you and I went to Montreal for your visa interview to get you down to the States. And it was February, I think, February or March, and a very snowy time for that part of the world. Um, But it was beautiful, wonderful, great. Um, As part of that, we did a little day, oh, I guess it was like a two-day trip over to Quebec City. And it was snowy but lovely. And I remember on our drive there, it was sunny and beautiful And it was just, yeah, everything was idyllic going over there. It was very cold, very cold, but beautiful. On our way back, however, it was a very different experience because, and I don't remember having any warning on this, but all of a sudden we were in a blizzard. And like, I don't think I've ever experienced a blizzard before. Not like this. Have you? I don't know. Going over some mountain passes, we've had some some pretty bad snowstorms. Fair, fair. Um, but this was like flat, like open space. Well, and we found out after the fact, uh, because we lived through this story, spoilers. <laughs> um, but we found out after the fact that this was the biggest snowfall, uh, snowstorm that the area had had in... Like a whole bunch of years. Oh, I forgot that part. Okay. Thank you for leveling up my story. Anyway, so we're in a rental car, driving back to Montreal, and like we're feeling the pressure because your interview, the whole reason we went on the trip is in like, I think it wasn't the next day, but it was the day after that. Something like that. We gave ourselves like a one day buffer, I think. But like the pressure was on. We needed to make sure we got back. Um so we're driving our rental car in a blizzard and all of a sudden our car starts having issues and what, what, like it wasn't accelerating. What, what were the issues? Do you remember? Yeah. Um, you were losing power, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was weird. It was almost like we'd hit a, a governor or something, but we were nowhere near the speeds that you'd expect to hit a governor on is I'd be driving and then all of a sudden the power would just back right off and we would come to a standstill to a crawl right right it was crazy so and as far as we know this had nothing to do with the blizzard this was just something with the car 
that's what it felt like. The car had been handling pretty well until then. You know, we'd been going pretty well, you know, actually not, uh, not going fast, but passing a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And then as we're having these troubles with our car, a tow truck comes up behind us and I remember being super confused because I thought it was like somehow they could, they just happened to be there and they could tell that we were having car issues or something. But it turns out it was for a totally other reason, which was the road was closed, right? Is that, is yeah. that what it was? Yeah, they were closing down the road. Right, because it was this, so bad. this tow truck was here to, to close down the road, right. essentially. And then, you know, somehow we managed to communicate with him because... As I recall, he spoke next to no English, if any English. Yeah, I think he had to be on the phone with with one of his supervisors. Right, who spoke English. and they were right translating. Because this this was not in one of the big cities. Um, right, this right. was the smaller towns where there's much less English speaking population. Right. Yeah, and so we managed to communicate that we're having these issues with our car, and so he ends up towing us to the nearest town, which is not a very large place. But thankfully, they had Tim Hortons because Canada, you can always count on Tim Hortons. And I think that Tim Hortons was closing, wasn't it? Or or they're, maybe they were closing their like restaurant area, something like that. But I feel like we got slightly special permission in order to stay there most of the night. Something like that, wasn't it? Because I don't think there was anything, anyone else in there other than like a worker or two. I, I don't think they were closing. There there was a couple other people there the were whole there? time that we were oh, there. Oh, okay. But I don't they, remember that. It's been long they enough. They treated us really well. They did. Like they I think did. they brought us some drinks and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But we had run into the issue of there was no place to stay in this tiny town where we were. And... I think we were trying to communicate, if I remember right, with the the rental company, trying to be like, okay, this car that we rented from you broke down. Oh, what are you going to do about it? Kind of thing. Goodness, we I remember this now. I think we talked to about three different people uh, because it came with like roadside assistance from through the rental right. company. We talked with about three different dispatchers, and every one of them said, oh yeah, we're going to fix the problem, and then like their shift would change. Right. Well, and and the blizzard was thrown into the mix of this. So we were stuck. People couldn't necessarily get to us slash a lot of like these tow trucks were busy trying to help other vehicles and whatnot. So we spent most of the night in the Tim Hortons and then sometime after midnight, I don't know, like two, 3 AM, something like that. Someone finally comes to get us. Someone, I guess, connected with the rental company and take us to a motel and so we get in the vehicle with this person I think yet again there was very little conversation because they did not speak much English I think they spoke a little bit more than the first guy I think at that point though we barely spoke any English (laughs) very true we were so tired and just stressed and so they take us to this motel and somehow it was worse than Tim Hortons in terms of like comfortable, like how comfortable we were for going to sleep. Like I remember. Oh, I, I feel at home in Tim Hortons. The lobby of this place felt a little bit like a horror movie. It's so true. This was like Bates Motel or something. Yeah, I think 
Mm, was the room transaction like through a plexiglass shield? I don't know, but um, it was sketch. And then in our room, I remember they didn't have your normal like little toiletries set out. There was like a hand wipe in a Ziploc bag on the counter. And that was like, there you go. That is all you need. And I think we just, I don't think we slept very much. Well, and, and smoke-free room uh, is what they gave us. I think meant that we weren't allowed to smoke in it. Not that no one had previously smoked in it. <laughs> they were reforming the room. They were turning it into a smoke-free room. But And we only got a few hours of sleep until someone came to pick us up and take us back well, into the city. And there was something really weird like in, in the, the shower or, or something to do with how the room <gasps> was set up. Girl, if I remember right, the shower was like in the room. Right. Like, and I don't think there was a shower And it was, it was just like a corner of the room. Yeah. It had a little spout where <laughs> yeah, the shower came right, out. That's right. Um, oh, we, we didn't go under the covers. We, we just kind of right, laid we like, down on top of the covers. We are going to get so many lice from this slash bed bugs. We're just going to stay away from this. Yeah. Which so anyway. maybe we're being too hard because we didn't. It's true, but man, we were we were nervous. It did not present well. Let's put it that way. But I think it was just all they had, and it was like, okay, it's this or nothing. So, anyway, I think in the next, at some early hour, we were picked up, taken back to to Montreal or to our vehicle. I don't remember. Uh, we had to new go on vehicle? a trip. No, not a new rental vehicle. I think someone took us to. A truck? That took us the rest of the way? Yeah. Okay. It's very vague. I think at that point we were so sleep driven high. Oh, we didn't know where our car was either. This whole time. <gasps> That's they, right. They, the tow truck dropped us off at Tim Hortons. I was not prepared left. to tell this story. I forgot so many details. Wow. We we didn't know where our car was. That's and right. So we, because we talked, you know, by this time we'd been able to get the, the rental dispatch on. Um, but in the shuffle of things... No one could tell us where our car was. No one could tell us if a tow truck was coming. No one could tell us anything. Yeah. And so the people who took a, picked us up from the hotel, you know, a, a tow truck, again, took us to the yard where our car was. Right. Picked up the car. And then we all drove That's to right. Montreal together. That's right. Oh, crazy times. And then just to make the whole trip sweeter... Our luggage was lost when we arrived. Oh, like you're talking before this trip happened. So when we first came to Quebec, our luggage got lost. And so we were without luggage for, I think it was at least 24 hours. I remember, I think we went to a drugstore finally after a while because we thought we would get it sooner and went and bought toothbrushes because we were like feeling so disgusting because we had none of our stuff. And then they ended up delivering it at like, 11 p.m. There's a knock on our door and it's our luggage being delivered. to It was just, it was very strange. And then your visa interview was denied. Oh. Just a sweet in the pot. It was all of two minutes. Right. That was way too short of an interview. It was, it was not an interview. She looked at some of the papers, rubber stamp, no. Right. Right. Didn't listen to anything you would have to say in support. She's like, nope, not good enough. Right. And then there was a whole ordeal there. So yeah, it was, it was a trip. It was a trip. On the, the final insult to injury, the head manager of that 
local rental company. <gasps> his right. his good news, because we we'd bought all the insurance for the car, like you right, know, the car right. was covered, everything was covered. Yeah. Um, you know all all the the insurance options that you know you really should say no to, especially if you have a credit card that has your own insurance. Right. Um, we'd said yes to all of that. And the, the head manager calls and says, well, I have good news. There's nothing really wrong with the car, so it's not your fault, so you don't have to pay for anything. Right. And any, like, any of the, the damages. Right. And we're like, I'm sorry, what? Like, the, the car failed us. Right. We were stranded. We were literally driving in no man's land in a blizzard and the car just stops working. And you're saying, oh, good, it's not your fault. Be on your way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, man, that trip just brings up all the, all the emotions. Now, we did get a selfie with Ryan Reynolds. There you go. At Madame Tussauds. Yeah. And I believe Meryl Streep was there that day and the Queen. So. Yep. And um, Han Solo. Yes. Not, not Harrison Ford. Han Solo. Yes. Yes. And um, uh, who's, who's the Apple guy? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, now, Gordy, your story that I know you have in mind for today is wonderful and amazing. But I think we should have you give a teaser and save it for our next episode so that you can give it in all of its glory and full detail. All right. Let's see. How, how do I make this a good teaser? Um, what you will hear next time is a story that may or may not be true and may or may not have happened at a very large and well-known theme park, and may or may not include content that has been publicly stated is impossible. Dun, 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 dun. Until next time. <laughs> we should look now at some of the games that we're, we've been playing recently, and I think... For this round, we, we want to try a new format for these games because we are not reviewers. We're not board game reviewers. There's plenty of those who would do a much better job than we would. So we don't want to give a mini review of the game. We do, however, want to give a snapshot of the game and at least give enough to know whether or not this game is interesting for you. So our, our format, we're going to give kind of a short little elevator pitch for the game and then some interview questions so the first game that i want to talk about is on tour this is a 2019 game by designer chad deshawn published by boardgametables.com uh, you can play it with one to four players i would imagine if you had some extra components you could play it with essentially an infinite number of people if you had an infinite number of components it takes about 20 minutes for us i would say it's been a little bit closer to 30, 40 minutes, but that's because we usually get really interrupted while we play. This is a rando writer, and what you're doing in the game is you are trying to build a 
tour, a plan for where your music group is going to go and perform. There are two sides to the board. One is for the United States and the other side is for Europe. Um, so you can mix it up with uh, which side of the board you use. And these are um, like slick kind of like whiteboard boards. So you use a dry erase marker and you plan out these tours based on um, what dice rolls are are given and based on cards which talk about different locations so you're planning out this route you're given numbers and locations and then at the end of the game you have to try to connect it all into a route with um, the numbers being in ascending order and it is very challenging i find my brain just is maxed out in this game oh sure well you know you're kind of you get extra points for when you flip over the card writing the number in the city that flips over right right if and you get I, it in the exact spot yeah yeah i find at the beginning i'm like oh yeah right in this city right in this city right Bonus. in this city and then by the end it's like oh i don't get to use any of those cities because now nothing works right right and you really just have to i find this game is a big game of settling like I have this grand plan at the beginning and the end. I'm like, okay, fine. That's good enough. Yep. You can go there. Whatever. Well, and I just imagine that I'm in the band and I'm like, oh, my fans are going to be so disappointed because I had to cut out the Eastern, you know, the, the Eastern seaboard segment of my tour. <laughs> and the West and all the South. So really it's, it's, you know, now the hometown tour. <laughs> yep. It's, it's, it is fun. It is fun. It's just, man, it's challenging, especially when you play at like 1130 at night. It is, it is not an 1130 at night <laughs> game, unless you're a major night owl, I guess. Well, all right then, on tour, I've got some questions for you. Given, given your, oh, this is a fun game, but oh, it hurts my head and mm -hmm. it's frustrating. What would you say the game does best? Well, I think... I think it does its, you know, presentation really well. You know, the boards are nice, the cards are nice, the colors are very appealing. It's just, it's a very pleasing to look at game. I love, I've always loved the look of the box. I was always attracted to it before, long before we ever got it. I was very attracted by the look of it. So I think it does its presentation super well. It is. It's a cool game. And I mean... It's about aesthetics, like you're you're a band, so sure. it kind of makes sense. Sure, that you want to want present, to present well. well, yeah. Um, also, board game tables is the publisher, right? Yep. And you like they actually do board game tables. Oh, I think you're right. I think I saw that in their pamphlet in the in the box. So my my guess is that they have quite an eye for detail. Yeah, fair. All right, one more question. Okay. Because it's about bands. Yep. Uh, what is the background music that you would play to this game? Hmm. I feel like it would depend whether it was a United States tour or a Europe tour, but I'm going to stick with the United States tour. I don't know. I'm feeling like Ben Rector and friends in the background. <laughs> to me, that's very, it just has a Ben, Ve ben Rector vibe to it. I, when I when I was saying that, I was looking over at the box of Vector cereal that we have. So I'm like, Ben Vector. Ooh. Ben Rector. So you're saying that box was our podcast cereal killer. 
Oh, we really need one of those little, you know, soundtracks with a, wah, wah, that wah. one, yeah, <laughs> for all your dad jokes. <laughs> all right, Gordy, bring us a fistful of meatballs. Yes. So I've been playing fistful of meatballs. Uh, we actually put it in our five by five challenge for April, and didn't make that challenge. I think we got what four plays out of it. We got pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. It's but this is a little game. It's uh, by. Uh, Final Frontier Games, which is a publisher that I've really, really liked. Yeah, I think every game that we've played by them has kind of knocked it out of the park. Yeah, well, and one of their games is in my my top ten. Not a a well-known game, but it's solidly in my top ten favorite games. And we just got a Kickstarter from Final Frontier. Yes, Merchant's Cove. It's sitting on our table taunting us. Well, so we haven't okay. had time to play so that, it yet. So that was spoilers for, you know, our next podcast. <laughs> uh, but yes, we definitely will be playing that and talking about it because we've been waiting so long. I think so at least a year and it. a half. At least a year and a half. Um, but this is uh, designed by Johnny Pack. Uh, the art is by the Miko, which... You know, his his art should be very familiar. He did the art for the West Kingdom series, mm-hmm. um, the, the North Sea Raiders. He did a lot for It's really for fun artwork. Oh, really cool. I, I love the kind of cartoon, but the way he uses the colors. Uh, the It's for two to four players, and it plays in about 30 minutes, kind of depending on what's going on. So this is a Mancala worker placement game. Can you quickly tell us what a Mancala is? Well, yeah. I had to look it up. Okay. Um, Mancala is, as far as I can tell, you pick up a fistful of meeples. Whoa. Where did they get that title from? Uh, but you, you pick up you know, a, a bunch of, a group of things, tokens, meeples, whatever, and you drop them off one at a time in order, kind of around a circle or around a, a track. Okay. And uh, usually, from what I read, it's the last token that you put in that scores. So it's this tension kind of, okay, you want to wait until just the right moment before you pick up that pile to get it to the action or the scoring that you want on the last placement. Okay. With Fistful of Meeples, uh, Johnny Pack throws worker placement in there. So every single meeple that you drop off around the circle at every spot has the opportunity to do something right. if certain requirements are met. Uh, so this is an Old West theme, a really fun theme. You've got your your sheriff and your outlaws and your miners and... Builders. The, the, oh, yeah, 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 the builders. Um, and, you know, the... The miners come in and spend money at the saloon. The builders build the saloons. The outlaws rob the miners. And the sheriff um, locks the, the robbers up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, depending on where you put them, you can have uh, like shootouts in the street. You know, they, they line up one on each end of the street. And then you have to roll dice to draw. And they go to their little cemetery. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's... Even a dame in this who uh, goes to where there's a bunch of workers and sends them all to, uh, to, to the saloon, I guess. Uh, but neat game, fun. There's a little bit of push your luck because you're drawing from a bag. And uh, end of the game, you know, if you draw dynamite, the game ends. 
Right, which is a fun little add-in where if you free the outlaws from jail, they throw a bit of dynamite in the mix of things. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's always like, you kind of have to balance that out. Like, ooh, I'll get lots of good stuff from freeing the robbers, but it might come back to bite me. Right, because you're pulling out of this bag and you know, you're like, okay, I can get gold and that's how I win the game because I get points. I can pull up stone and that helps me build the saloon so I can get more gold and win more points. But as the game goes on, there's more and more dynamite in that bag too. And when you pull out the certain number of dynamite, the game just ends. Well, and if you get one dynamite, you lose half of your stuff. Oh, so. right. Yeah, I'd it's, it's a rough... <laughs> I actually forgot about that. Uh, but fun little game. Uh, love picking up those little meeples. They're tiny meeples, like fit on your fingernail meeples, maybe slightly yeah, bigger than that. It's a very that. small little game, but uh, it's, it's good. And and again, art by the Miko is always a win for me. Yeah. All right. Can I interview a fistful of meeples with a few questions? Oh, go right ahead. What would you say first interested you in this game? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I listened to the Ludology podcast, which is a, a podcast where they have some some game designers, and they've got uh, actually they they you know you've got some some professors of game design, some some doctors of game design. They have really neat hosts on, like either game designers or you know uh, people who have worked for game systems in the real world, like. Uh, one person on Ludology was talking about being an Imagineer for, for Disney. Hmm. Uh, one of the guests that they brought on for Ludology, I don't know if I already said it, I would say it's one of the best board gaming podcasts just for pure, interesting ideas that they bring up. <laughs> it is very in-depth, I find. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back so to Fistful of Meeples. One of the guests that's the, that they brought on was Johnny Pack. Oh, the and designer. at that point, I didn't know anything about Johnny Pack, uh, but I heard Final Frontier and I was, ooh, I'm listening now. And he talked about how he wanted to make this game. And I think this is the game. He was talking about Fistful of Meeples and one of his other games by Final Frontiers, uh, Kaluma. One of those two games was actually the layout and everything was actually based on his hometown. Are you serious? Yeah. And so, you know, he was talking about it. I already knew that I loved uh, Final Frontier. And so that's what got me interested in Fistful of Meeples. That's really cool. Okay. Just to keep things moving along, let me ask just one other question. Um, let's see. How likely are you to take this on your next road trip when road trips are once again allowed? Uh, very likely. It is small and compact, uh, quick playtime, and I don't have to worry too much about the components being damaged. have to worry a little bit about them being lost. Right. That's, well, that's the one thing I'd worry about is the little meeples, the little cubes. Yeah, we had a bit of a, a cube incident, and it took a few days before we recollected all the cubes, I think. Yeah. All right, awesome. Okay, I'm going to bring us our next one. This is one, what is it, second most plays of all time in our, in our collection. Board game app? Yeah. 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 So this is Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth, a 2019 game 
by Nathan, is it Hadrick? Hadrick? Have you heard it on any of your podcasts? No. Okay, that's all right. Great. And Grace Holdinghouse. It's a fantasy flight game, one to five players. It takes usually between an hour and two hours, and that is to play one adventure as part of a campaign. And we've done a couple campaigns now. Right? We've uh, done, yeah, you and I, I finished one. We've finished one with um, your brother and sister-in-law. I think those are the only ones we've completed. Yeah. I think one of them we played twice because we played parallel, and then you and I did one on our own as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is a cooperative game. You are playing as different characters in the Lord of the Rings, I guess, kind of universe, because it's not, it's definitely not based on the movies at all. Well, and, and I'll, I'll insert here, uh, it's based, I would say, pretty solidly in the fantasy flight Lord of the Rings universe. Okay. And how um, would you differentiate that? Well, they, they kind of have their canon of characters that they've created that oh. show up in a few of their games, okay, I, I believe, I didn't that. Um, that, you know, could possibly exist elsewhere. In, in the books, there's room for them to exist in the movies. But Tolkien but never actually mentions them in right. any... Okay, yeah. Uh, but there are a few well-known characters in there. Like, you can play as Gandalf, you can play as Bilbo, and Oh, a, a lot and... of the, the core ones are, are in there. And even yeah. from the, the Hobbit, they pull in uh, some of the dwarves. Yeah. Uh, one thing I really like about this game is there are two different... I guess, modes kind of, or two different types of adventures that you'll play. And they get kind of mixed up throughout the campaign. Sometimes you will be playing on a journey map. So you're going to be adding tiles to the map that you're exploring. And along the way, you'll be fighting various orcs and, you know, various bad guys. And you'll be exploring for things. You'll be trying to meet certain challenges uh, conversely, on the battle map, you're pretty much exclude. It's a very small play area, and you're pretty much just trying to defeat monsters. That's like largely what. And there, there'll well, be tokens to explore. Except sometimes on the battle maps, uh, they'll send you a twist, and you'll have to do some kind of deduction style game. That's true. Like that's when- true. And you're like interviewing various little tokens, which represent you know maybe a dwarf or. A- yeah. But Personal. those those tend to be much faster paced on the battle maps because you're yeah. not adding to the map. Yeah. There's no suspense of, oh, what's going to be around this corner? It's, you know, here's right. what's laid out. Boom, 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 boom. And, it, you know, the timer goes along much quicker too. Yeah. Uh, but you don't get that sense of exploration that you do where you're building these grand maps in the journey maps. Right. Um, and this game comes with a companion app, um, for phone or iPad or tablet. And I find it really helpful because it it, it really d- helps develop the story that's going along with the, the gameplay. There's, you know, there's music, there's sound effects. It, it's fun. And it, Rah! right, yes, that is a very popular, what is that, the one of the orcs or the goblins or something <laughs> like that. Um, and it it's really helpful too because I find with that, we're doing a lot less looking back at the rule book and a lot less, you know, missing something that we were supposed to do because it, it kind of reminds you of certain things that you need to do along the way. Um, Gordy, is there anything else you would say, maybe just real quick, how, how does a turn work? 
Yeah, I mean, you're you're trying to build up your hand of cards over the course of the campaign, and that makes your character better. So it's a little bit character development, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of deck building in a long-term sense. You're not really mm -hmm. deck building in the short term. Right. Uh, you know, you draw your hand of cards, you can prepare one. And then the neat thing about this is you use those cards, uh, instead of rolling dice, like to hit enemies, it's the cards that you've put into your deck that help you. So you've got right. successes, you've got, um, oh, what, what do they call them with the little silver leaves? Um, it's not coming to me right now, but, yeah, but those if, can if also have, turn into successes if you have the right token. Right. And so, you know, it's it's kind of neat that way where you're not rolling dice, you're, you're kind of manipulating and choosing when to use those successes. Because um, I think in the in your whole deck, you've got like, four successes to start unless you're well, Gandalf and then you have two. Right. I think, yeah, I think sometimes you start with only three. It depends on your character, which is another thing I would say in support of this game is I like that they really try to run with, you know, these are different characters with different strengths. So it's not just, you know, a well, generic character, but you have a different picture. Well, like, and they, they all have their, you know, once per turn, you can do this and they're, they're really neat, powerful abilities that you right. can do. Yeah. All right. Do you have a question or two for Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth? Ah, uh, yes. So this is one of our most played games. Mm -hmm. We love it. Uh, you know, could easily see us playing it. If, if they keep coming out with scenarios, we'll keep playing scenarios. And even if they don't keep coming out with scenarios, we'll probably go back and replay a few. Because right. there's Especially enough the variability. Lost. <laughs> uh, so my question with that preface is, what is one downside to this game? Um, well, I think like you do have to spend additional money to get more scenarios. So, you know, the campaign we're doing right now, we spent money through the app to get it. So it is, you're, you're committing in this game. If you want ongoing replayability, you are committing to, you know, continued costs and upgrades. So that that's one possible downside. Um, the one other thing I would say is with the journey maps, it can be really frustrating because sometimes you're spending, you know, probably in total over the course of an entire adventure, maybe like even 20 minutes, just trying to find and orient the tiles in the right way. And sometimes it's, you know, you're having to flip over like, I don't know, five or six new tiles and find them in the stack and then orient them. the right. And sometimes we waste I don't know. It feels like a lot of time trying to get that just right. Right. Well, and we've got it pretty organized. You know, it's all, um, oh, all of these tiles have an A side and a B side, but they're all organized into like 201. And those are the tiles that have two spaces on them or 301, 302, 304. So we sure. have it organized by the number of tiles and their but sequential. It's a big stack. And yeah, it, even so, it takes a long time to go through them yeah. relative to, to the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, all right. Here's an interesting one. Would you buy this game for someone else? I would buy it for certain people because I love it and would highly recommend it. But, okay, so it's a very large box for this game and that could be very daunting for your non-board gamer friends. So I would buy it for someone who likes to play board games. I think, you know, without hesitation. 
but I don't think I would buy it for someone who's maybe like just getting into board games or maybe has come to a board game night. Does that make sense? Sure. Can I slide one more quick question in here? What's the learning curve on this game? I mean, I, it's super easy to pick up. I don't find that there's a ton, especially since it's cooperative. So, and the nice thing is because, you know, you have your own deck of cards. I guess people can still tell you what to do, but you do have your own personal area with your stuff. So there's a little bit of autonomy in that. But when you're first learning, people can guide you a little bit. And there really aren't that many rules to learn. So when, you know, you were talking about it being a bigger game and, you know, only buying it for people who play board games, it is just the imposing nature of the box. Right, right. And it... Looking at it, you think it's like War of the Ring, which admittedly is a larger box, but still, they're both really big and it can be like, well, what am I getting myself into? But it's really not that bad. Well, I want to finish off our game interview with Great Western Trail. Now, I should preface this. We try to bring games to these interviews that we've played more than once. Great Western Trail, we've only played once, and it was fairly late at night that we finished. Um, But I wanted to talk about this game because we have had this game sitting on our shelf for so long. I think at least two years. Yeah, I think before we played it, this game was possibly our uh, kind of longest inhabitant having not played it game. Right. Um. And I kept seeing how much fun this game is, how great the game was, and wanting to play it. But big rule book, big box. Um, and honestly, the artwork didn't look super intriguing uh, on, on the front. But we knew it was a, a well-loved game. Yeah. So that's to preface why I'm bringing this to our game interview, having only played it once, is just because, oh my goodness, I'm so glad we finally played it. So this is Great Western Trail, a 2016 release. It's by uh, Alexander Pfister and produced by, uh, published by Eggert Spiel, which I believe is a division of Plan B Games. Plays one to four players, and the box says 75 to 150 minutes. I can't remember what our playtime was, but obviously it would be longer since we were just learning it. This is a deck-building game, in a sense, uh, where you're managing the hand of cards that you have over your turn but it's not deck building in in the sense you know you think star realms or harry potter hogwarts battle where you're trying to defeat enemies this is deck building in the sense where you're trying to collect a set in your hands because the the premise of this game is you are cattle drivers who every season you're driving your herd of cows up through the the states into get them into Kansas City, where you sell them off. And the cows that uh, the more different kinds of cows you have, uh, the more money you're going to make. The more expensive kinds of cows you have, the more money you're going to make. And you're going to gain and lose cows along the way. Like sometimes you'll trade cows for money or you'll trade cows to do something else. And uh, there's lots of scoring opportunities. This is a, a Euro game. You're, you're mostly focused on what you're doing. You're not interacting a huge amount with anyone else. Not really. And lots of scoring opportunities. I, I appreciated that about it. You could do many different things and you could have very different strategies 
and both have a really good shot at winning. I oh found. yeah. And it's cool. Cause there's a, you know, um, huge theme in this game. Like the theme actually helps me understand the rules, all the rules kind of weave into the theme. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're building homesteads along the way where you can stop on your way to Kansas city. Uh, you're hiring, uh, hiring cowboys so that you can get cows from the auction better. Uh, and you're, you're hiring train engineers to drive the train further abroad so you can get more money from the cows that you sell. So it's, it's really, really heavy game, really neat game. So worth playing. I wish we'd played it much earlier. I'm yeah, glad we finally played it. It was very satisfying, even though I was like half asleep while we were playing it. Okay, I'm going to ask you just one question because we should try to get to the bulk of our episode here. Do you think that this is a game you will still play in 10, 25, 50 years? Absolutely. I just, I really want to see you play this as an almost 80-year-old man. Well, I the think thing th- is, we can leave it set up when we're 80 years old. That's true, and we won't have, <laughs> we'll just, because our bedtime will probably be like 8.15, so... We'll play for like half an hour and then no, go to bed. No, no, no. I fully plan on being the old man who doesn't need to sleep. <laughs> um, I'll just stay up all night playing board games. Uh, no, this, this game has so much meat to it. And it's, it's not like it does anything novel. Maybe it did when it came out. Um, but it's, it's not flashy. I know there's a new version coming out where the artwork is upgraded and that's, right. that's cool. But it just it is such a good satisfying game you get such satisfaction from moving your pieces up the board from from building your 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 hand of cattle that you're selling off it is it's fun it's engaging and i find i get very proud of the the selection of cattle that i have i don't know i really like those cow cards yeah and i i absolutely will be playing this Mm -hmm. years down the road Maybe on a once every two year track, if if our track record holds true. Right. Let's let's try not not. to wait quite, especially (laughs) since we just bought the expansion. We should probably play it again soon with that. Let's move on to our topic for today. Gordy, do you want to give us just a little intro? What is it that we're talking about today? Yeah. So we've talked about this as winning game night is kind of how we've spun it with the idea of, you know, when you are hosting a game, if if you are trying to invite people into your space, into the world of board gaming, Mm -hmm. then there's so much more at stake than winning the game um, or even losing the game game graciously. We want to be designing nights that win the person over. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm wrestling with this a little bit because there's a few ways you can think about it. One way to think about it is putting more emphasis on playing the game. Hmm. You know, not just playing the game, but playing right. the game. Because, you know, you it's it really, a lot of what we're going to talk about is going to come down to having fun. And what does having right. fun look like? Yeah. Uh, so that that's kind of my preliminary thoughts, uh, Alexis. Coming into it, you know, what what are your first thoughts? Because this is a big topic that I think we're going to come back to again. Yeah. Well, just as you were talking about play, 
you know, my mind, my mind goes to just the topic of play in and of itself. And, you know, we always think about that with children, but this is our adult version of play and, you know, what kids do in play and accomplish through play. I think in some ways we can have those benefits as well as adults playing board games. Right. Well, and, you know, we should make the distinction here. It's possible to play a board game or play board games Mm -hmm. without actually playing. Right, right. Is it, are you turning it into work or is it true play with, with no agenda in a sense? Right. I mean, like you can, I, I hear, I think about our daughter, um, you know, she can play while cleaning up her room. You know, she, she has, she has this end goal and which is, which is, you know, (laughs) have a clean room that's that's the goal that we put that's the parameters and she has to be making movements towards it yeah um and you know what we would like to see is her to pick up her toys put it in the bin pick up a toy put it in the bin pick up a toy and you know get it done she has the ability to be a puppy well she doesn't so she will pick up the toy in her mouth really hard to do with some of these toys carry it over and drop it in the bin. And if she misses the bin, oh, she's not going to pick it up with her hands. She's going to try again as a puppy. Right, right. It takes a very long time. But there's so much fun in it. And it it moves the agenda to the background and the, the fun and the play come forward. Yeah. And so board games are the same. We've We've got not the same as cleaning our rooms, obviously. But, you know, we have these end goals. There's rules that we have to follow. Yeah. But playing the board game is is when we find the freedom to have fun in that structure and and really just kind of let ourselves go a little bit yeah um you know to stop from just getting to the end of the game right well and I know many times when we play you know you're explaining it to me and I'll stop you and say okay that fine 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 rules good but how do I win what's my goal what do I need to focus on and in many ways, I'll get too caught up in that final goal and everything is driving towards that. And if something doesn't fit in that structure, then I'm dissatisfied. I'm not having as much fun. Right. Well, yeah, we, we kind of mistake winning or losing with, you know, that's our satisfaction in playing the game. Right. If um, I won, awesome. This was fun. If I lost, uh kind of wasted the last hour. Yeah, so maybe let's let's move into some I don't really want to go into examples, but you know, how do we what what kinds of things do we want to be thinking about so that someone can walk away from our game nights having felt like they played a game? And and right. You know, you can think about it like whether they won or lost. How did they walk away feeling like they won? Uh, you know, to, to kind of slip back into that confusing winning with playing. But how, how do they walk away satisfied? How do they walk away wanting to come back, wanting to play more games, wanting to buy their own games? Right. Well, I think I want to bring it back to our title, you know, the ultimate W, the ultimate win. And, you know, we, we've got focus there on that, that play aspect. But I think overall... The ultimate win is 
did they from you know more or less start to finish enjoy their time was it was it a fun evening or I guess afternoon or morning depending when you play your your board games um and and what can we as hosts do to get them to that ultimate win yeah and of course that brings up some um, tricky thinking uh because you know if they are someone who puts a lot of stock into winning or losing right uh, you know kind of high performance pressure themselves um they're not going to walk away going, oh, that was fun, even though I didn't win. Uh, unless by design, we are creating nights that kind of push that and, and take the emphasis off of winning, I guess. Uh, so I, I don't know, how, how, what are some ways that we can take the emphasis off of winning? Well, I think we've mentioned this in a previous episode or episodes, but you know, having that, in a sense, house rule of the first one is free. And so having, you know, like taking off the pressure from a, a first time play, um, you know, so you are just learning this. We're not expecting you to, to make all the right choices in the game. We're not expecting you to win and just, yeah, really focusing on just learning the game for the, the fun of figuring it out, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, take Great Western Trail. You know, if, if it's your, you're brand new to the game, if you don't have the pressure of, you know, we're, we're you know, trying to win this. Right, and even um, though it's your first time, we're expecting you to, you know, be solid competitors here. Yeah, you can, you can have the freedom then to kind of pick a strategy. Is it a good strategy? I don't know. I've never played it. But just run with the strategy. You're like, yeah, the cattle, cattle driving is a little bit overdone. I want to get all my points from building buildings. Um, sure, or yeah. I want to drive that train as far as I can. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, it kind of takes the, you, you have freedom to play because we've, we've taken the pressure off of one of the, the goals, I guess. Yeah. Well, and play just in general, so much of it is exploration. You know, when kids play, they are exploring their world. You know, they're exploring stories and characters and different activities. So I think when we focus on, you know, first one's free, try things out, just see if this is a good strategy. We really are emphasizing that exploratory nature of play. Well, and in, in some ways, uh, playing board games or playing video games uh, is actually a little bit of an oxymoron. Um, mm, my grammar might not be quite right there. Um, <laughs> what am I looking for? Misnomer. Uh, but there is a very real sense in which as soon as you impose goals and impose structure, you lose play. Right, because play in and of itself isn't supposed to be agenda-driven, goal-driven. Right. Now, we've already, we've already talked about, you know, you can play in structure, you can play with goals hanging over you, and, you know, our, our daughter does. But if you really think about it, what she's doing is taking those goals and putting them in the back seat. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, it's play first. She's loosened the structure. She's minimized the goals 
in order to play. Um, and so when we're trying to, you know, build an, e an evening or a morning or a lunchtime <laughs> where you're trying to, to generate play and a feeling of satisfaction through play, I guess it does make sense. The first thing you want to do is take away some of that structure, take away the emphasis on the goal yeah. so that play can come a little bit more naturally. Yeah. Now to play devil's advocate a little bit, for a lot of people, if winning isn't important, what's the point? They don't really, like if you're not trying to win, they don't necessarily want to play the game. Oh, sure. So how, how would you respond to people who have that mindset? Yeah. Um, this, this actually reminds me of a, of a quote. Um, and I, I had to look it up earlier because I had a feeling it would come up. This is a, a quote by Dr. Reiner Knizia, and I'm sure a lot of people will have heard this quote, uh, but when playing a game, the goal is to win. But it is the goal that is important, not the winning. Hmm. So and, how would you put that in your own words? Well, it's... When we're playing board games... Um, we kind of step, we all, we all come to the table with certain expectations. Mm -hmm. One of those expectations is we're going to follow the rules, right? right. We're well, not, not going to cheat. Right. Otherwise, total chaos, anarchy, what's even happening? What's the point? Yeah. Uh, one of the rules that I bring to the, or one of the expectations that I bring to the table, and I, I think is a good one to bring to the table, but I'm not sure everyone brings this to the table, is... You know, what happens in this board game doesn't actually leave the table. <laughs> so if I decimate you in root, <laughs> don't think that I am attacking you personally. Right. I'm, I'm not going to help you do the dishes. <laughs> you backstabbed me in root. Or you, you were the traitor. Right. Um, yeah, in betrayal at House on the Hill. Right. You murdered me. Or, or carry it from game to game. Like, I'm not trading with you. You killed me in the last game. Right. Which, by um, the way, I think many people have trouble doing, like separating well, those. Sure. I be, and I think part of it is, you know, this kind of board game etiquette, this kind of mindset, uh, this kind of coming to the to the table um, actually needs to be built up and nurtured in our hobby a little bit, hmm. kind of this, this ethos. But I, I think it would be a good one to focus on. Now, I should really, I should rewind really, really quickly. Um, I said, you know, I won't trade with you because you killed me last time. Not a bad idea. If there's one person who always wins, you know, of course you're not going to go into the next game just totally ignoring the fact that they're a really good player and you're going to treat them like everyone else. Right. I'm, I'm talking about holding on to the grudge. Right. Like, right. you know, oh, that hurt my feelings. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to hurt yours this next game. Yeah. Well, and I think, so that whole hurt feelings thing, it does come up in game night sometimes. I know there have been many times when I felt like personally attacked based on the moves that you've done. And I know for you... It really is nothing personal. You're just playing the game. Um, but I think as board game hosts, in many ways, we're responsible for kind of facilitating everything and trying to mitigate those 
situations as best we can. Well, and being aware too. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's take, so we were playing uh, Century Eastern Wonders the other day and we, yep. we'd played, you know, like three, four games of it. Right, like and that. so far I had a very good win percentage. Right, and so uh, Century Eastern Wonders is a kind of network building game um, where you're trying to build this engine to change spices over. Uh, but it depends on, sorry, if, I think if you're, if you're hearing any loud noises, uh, weird noises, what's happening is one of the neighbor cats has walked past our window That's and our cat is not allowed outside. He hates the neighbor cats. Yes, he is crying at it. He is such a jerk to them. (laughs) They, they came up like, you know, meowing at the window and he's hissing at them and spitting and, oh. Yeah. Wow. It literally, I thought, I thought our, so our child is not here right now, but I thought he was here because it sounds like a baby crying, but no, it is Edmund crying at the neighbor cat. Okay. Anyway, back to what you were saying. Sentry, this game kind of depends on you being able to uh, lay down this, this network where you can change your, your spices. Um, and you're allowed to lay down your network where other people are, but it's a little bit more costly. You have to pay cubes to, right. you know, the cubes that you're trying to change, you have to pay one every time you want to put a, a node down right. where someone else is. So in the past, the way Gordy and I played when it's just the two of us, there's so much space. We kind of just stayed out of each other's way and did our own things. Gordy tried a new strategy this past time that we played, and he went directly in like in the path where I was going to go. So every time I wanted to exchange spices, it cost me an extra spice. Now, can can I, you know, in, in my defense, it's not like I went out of my way to do it. There was a really kind of made sense in terms of what my cubes looked like to go here, 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 right towards you and then cut over. But <laughs> not going to lie, there were some choices down the road where I'm like, ooh, I could go here or I could continue this strategy and keep cutting Lexus off. Right. So the game ended much more quickly than it has in the past. And I lost quite handsomely. Whereas in the past, I have won quite handsomely. <laughs> um, and I was a little bit bitter about it. Right. Well, and I, I you know, admit it was, it was a really aggressive style of play. I didn't do anything against the rules. Nope. I, I don't think I did anything even unsportsmanlike. But it was a drastic change right, in my aggression level from past games. Yeah. And, you know, even that kind of drastic change to more aggressive play style, um, you know, could could have hurt feelings and, and did have hurt feelings a little bit to, to your credit. I've gotten I'm not, I would say not much. <laughs> uh, but those kinds of things are good to be aware of especially when you're inviting people into your home right you know they're your games maybe you know let them actually have fun playing the game uh you know and and some people thrive off of aggression you know you push them they're gonna push you right back yeah and i think it's important to read who it is that you've invited you know is this a style that's gonna work for them and i I personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with adjusting your strategy to fit with who you're playing with. It's not about going easy on them. It's not about, you know, purposefully making bad choices so that you lose and they win and feel good about themselves. No, you're still playing to win, but 
it's not with this like offensive mindset necessarily, unless like you said, you're playing against people who are like, yeah, come, come at me, bring it. Well, right. I mean, and this thankfully brings us back to the Reiner Knizia quote, Um, because, you know, we're all coming. One of the expectations that I think everyone comes to the table with in a successful game night is that we're playing to win the game. Right. I don't think anyone starts a game planning to lose. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes they do, and it derails the the game night. If you've got the clown Uh, who they don't want to win, they just want to Mm. muck around and throw wrenches in things, and they don't actually care about winning. It it actually is, you know, they might be having fun, but they're playing a different game than everyone else. Yeah. And it kind of ruins the game. A common goal. (laughs) Right. And so I think that's the meat of what this quote is, is that, no, 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 no. We all need to come to the table with the same goal, and that is winning the game. If If we can't come to the table agreeing on that, if you're playing a different game than we are, then you're winning your own game, and we don't even know what that game is. And yeah. that's not fair. Yeah. And and so I think that's the meat of the game. And, you know, it's the goal that's important. But the other side of that is it's not the winning that's important. You know, we need to come to the table with that as our goal. But we need to be holding that loosely enough that it's, you know, whether or not we achieve that goal is not important. Hmm. It's mm-hmm. it, but it comes down to how smoothly can the game run? Yeah. So how do you help along the person who, you know, even if you've prefaced with, it's fine if you win or lose, we're just trying this out. And yet they still feel really like, oh, if they've lost, how do you help them along? Well, I think, and here's where, um, I, I was going to say, you, you want to focus more on the story of the game or the story arc of the game. And I'm not even talking about story games. Like, you know, we've been playing Sleeping Gods and, oh, you know, that was a really cool narrative thing that happened. That's fantastic. If you can focus on those kinds of elements, amazing. Yeah. We should. We should be appreciating the story in story games. But this isn't even what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the the arc of the game because, you know, in, in sports, um, I hate watching sports in, in barbershops. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm, you know, it's, I, if I understand the sport, it's kind of interesting, I guess. But I just, I don't like it. You know, they're, they're running around on, on the screen. I have no way to connect with what you're talking about right now because I have never been to a hair salon where there are sports playing. Oh. <laughs> like, that is just like, what? Well, clearly you need a better barbershop. <laughs> uh, no, I, but where I'm going with that is there's no volume in the barbershop. That it's just on the screen. They're, they're not actually running the volume. Mm-hmm. You add in a sports commentary or a commentator. Mm-hmm. Well, the sports commentator generates a story arc to that game. Yeah. You know, they get excited when something exciting is happening. They, they celebrate when there's these 
big victories and they comment when something catastrophic happens. They make a big deal out of it. Sure, sure. Same thing with our board games, I think. We can focus on the story arc of the game. You know, there are big moments in games. You know, it comes down to that dice roll that can make or break you in your game. Yeah. Those are the moments to focus on. Those moments could come and go with no big deal and it would just kind of feel like, oh, you know, I lost that big dice roll. Right. Or, you know, if you as the host are, are aware of how big that dice roll is, you can make a big deal out of it. Like, oh, you know, it all comes down to this and, you know, whether they roll and they win and it's a big celebration or they lose and, oh, such a big deal, you're commiserating with them. That was a huge moment. That was an exciting moment. Right. And win or lose, it was their moment. Yeah. And you were with them in that moment. Right. Yeah, and I think as the host... And, and certainly other players can come on board with this, but I do think it's the responsibility of the host. You can not only, you know, make a big deal about those moments in the moment, but make a mental note of them. And at the end, be like, hey, remember remember that really crazy role that you had where you got all zeros? Like, how does that even happen? That sort of thing. So you're you're not entirely focusing on the person who won, you know, maybe the memorable moment did happen to someone who won, but you're but remembering this for everyone. it's the moment everyone. that you're remembering. Right. Well, last, uh, one, one of our last game nights, um, one, one of the players set up a moment. They, they planned into the future and kind of set up this, this moment, this trap. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, there's no way that's going to happen. There's less than a 50% chance that it is going to line up exactly like that. Yeah. And then the turn came and went and it didn't happen. I'm like, I'll see. And then the next turn came and it happened. You know, like less than 20. I I want to say it was more like a 15% chance (laughs) that this, the stars could have aligned like this. And they did. And so, you know, going back after the game, you know, Oh my goodness, I cannot believe that it fell so perfectly into your plan like that. Right. Uh, Takes the emphasis off of winning or losing. We lost that game. It was a co-op game. We totally lost. Uh, Really bad. (laughs) But that moment felt like a win because that was, you know, they they looked into the future, they planned something, and it Mm -hmm. happened exactly how they said it was going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um. As you were saying that you mentioned co-op games, and that just brought to mind, I do think some thought can be put into what types of games you're bringing up for game night based on who's there. Like we have some games that are actually kind of mean. They are mean games. And, you know, you are constantly thwarting people as you're playing. Oh, like you mean munchkin where the first person gets to level 10, they're like, oh yeah, I'm winning. And then then boom, 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 boom. Oh, I'm definitely going to be the worst player and now I can't do anything on my turn. Right. A little bit of a downside to Munchkin. Yeah. And, you know, we have other games where, you know, you're kind of just doing your own thing and, you know, yes, you're trying to beat other players, but you can't really do anything to mess up what they're doing. And so I think based on who's coming, you can make those choices of which games to bring out as options. You know, and maybe you've got a group that, 
it really is just best to do cooperative games. And like some people are very anti-cooperative games. They want to, they want the competition and that's fine. But maybe they need other people who also don't mind the competition. Right. And in those cases, maybe a team, a team game is where it's at, you know? So that person who doesn't like the stiff competition quite so much is working alongside some other people. So I think it, it is very possible to maybe soften some of the, you know, potential frustrations and stings for people by choosing a game appropriately. Right. Well, and you're, you're talking about, you know, tailoring game choice. Uh, you, we could easily talk about tailoring who is invited. And, and here I'm not talking about excluding people from game nights, but I am talking about inviting them into a group that works. Right. Well, I think there is some careful selection that goes into creating a a long-term game group, you know, as opposed to just like a one-off, hey, just get a random group of people together to play a game. But if you want like a group that's going to play a campaign game together or that are going to meet up every single week, there does need to be a degree of compatibility. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, yeah. And who, who plays well together. Right. And like, it hasn't been too bad, but I, I know we've had a couple nights where one or two of our invitees maybe butted heads a little bit and like ongoing, probably we would invite them separately on different game nights. Right. We, we still want both of them at our game nights. Right. Just we maybe just, not together. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there, and, and like, there are so many, so many aspects to this, but I think those are definitely a few things, adjustments that you can make or, or careful pre-selections that you can make to help reduce some of the possible tension um, that can take away from the play, the fun. Yeah. Well, and so that, that helps kind of after the fact, like, huh, probably shouldn't invite those people to the same game night. Right. Um, but that actually doesn't help one or both of them walking away going, well, that actually wasn't that much fun. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the pretzels and Nutella were great. <laughs> Always great. Always. And maybe I should interject. We did things out of order. We actually recorded our favorite things before this segment. So, so that was teaser for our favorite <laughs> things. Um, you know, Pretzels and Nutella were great, but that that game just wasn't any fun. And And, and the fact of the matter is, not everyone is going to like every game. You are going to bring games out that you love that other people just, they don't like the gameplay, and that just is what it is. Um, But there, there is one other thing you and I were talking about that I think can make, it can help create an environment that is supportive and fun. And that I think is, you know, from the get-go establishing a game night culture of, of helping. And, you know, especially if we've played a game a whole bunch and we're bringing it to people who are newbies, you know, putting ourselves out there as resources, not, not being alpha gamers and telling them what to do, but saying, Hey, yes, this is you against me and these other people, but we want to help you truly learn this game so that you can have fun. 
for myself, I know some of the games I enjoy the most are the ones that I know really well. And so we want other people to have that experience. And part of it is really learning the game. And if well, we're... And not feeling stuck if you don't know the game. Right, right. And so I think we can be resources for people and say, hey, if you have a question, I will answer that question and not twist it in such a way that it helps me. Like I will truly help you with your strategy or with this decision um, to help you play the game better. Yeah. Well, and, you know, this actually goes back a little bit, ties back to a couple things we were talking about, you know, the Reiner Knizia quote, Mm -hmm. the goal is winning, but it's the goal that's important. Yeah. Um, And also the the example that we gave with Century, um, you know, I, I played, I switched things up, played that really aggressive game. And if I knew the game and you didn't know the game... I should not have played that aggressively. Right. Well, there you would have been taking advantage of my ignorance if I hadn't uh, known the right. game. Right. Now, you know, rewind. Oh, you said, but we all should come to the table with the goal of, of winning. And yes, we we should come. But, and, you know, for the record, the strategy worked. <laughs> like, I creamed you. It was clearly a good strategy. Um, but... That strategy, neither of us had tried before, neither of us had seen. You know, we were we were fairly equal in our plays, having played exactly the same number of games. Um, but that strategy probably wouldn't have worked as well if you had seen exactly what I was doing. And so, right. you know, if I tried that strategy not after we played four games, but if we'd played 15 games of Century, mm-hmm. then you would have seen it and you would have countered a little bit differently. Right. So now, let's say I had played 15 games of Century and you had played zero games of Century. Um, if, I'm, if I tried that aggressive strategy, I'm actually not playing to win. I am playing to win. But I'm playing to win in such a way where I am, like you said, taking advantage of you not knowing how to play. Right. You not recognizing strategies. And I don't know. Personally, I... Okay, sometimes I do with you. But in general, I don't want to play to decimate. You know, I don't want to play to totally skunk the other player. You know, I want to have a good win. But I'm not here just to like you know, create a hundred point lead, if that makes sense. Right. Well, and, you know, going back to the example, if I'm taking advantage of you not knowing or not being able to recognize the strategy because you don't know the game, I'm not actually playing a good game. It's not a good strategy. Or maybe you're just taking advantage of the fact that I'm not good at a particular game. Like even if I know it, but maybe I'm just not that good at it. That's another time you could totally take advantage and right so the the reiner knizia quote you know the the goal is to win but it's the goal that's important not the winning another way you could look at that is we are trying to win but there isn't a how you know especially if you're playing with people who are less experienced or they're not good at those kinds of games Mm -hmm. um or they don't enjoy those kinds of games try to win a different way Right. Maybe you mix up your strategy. 
Um, or, you know, be really open, especially with people who it's their first game. You know, yeah. well, you know, I'm doing this. So pretty clearly my strategy is doom, 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 which leaves me hugely weak here. So I'm really hoping that you don't roll a seven right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, I took a risk and did this. It didn't pan out, which left me a little bit weak. You should come in and steal all these resources because that would cripple me for three turns. Right. Uh, you know, just kind of alerting them to those kinds of strategies, especially if they don't know the game. Right. Not do this, do this, do this, and then you'll win. But giving them the bigger picture of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And I think... That's honestly in a way that kind of takes us back to teaching a game well is being open about what you, the more experienced player, is doing. And that's that's helping them in the learning process as well as, you know, helping them have more fun in the game. Right. By yeah. not just being like, what is even happening? Right. Not, not teaching them just how to get through the game but how to actually start playing. Right. The game. When I'm clueless as to what I'm doing in the game, it, it's ha- more hard. It's harder. Not more hard. It's harder for me to have fun. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So a quick, quick wrap up, Gordy. What, what, what would you boil this all down to? Focusing on play, you know, focusing on the experience itself. Uh, you know, you don't need to pretend like no one won. Or, you right. know, oh, we don't do this for scores. No, I, I think scores are important. I think it's important that there is a clear winner. But that shouldn't be the big thing. The big thing should be those epic moments in the game. The big mm-hmm. thing should be, you know, the person coming to love the game because, aha, I finally understand it. Or I did something so clever right there. Yeah. Um, and one other thought I had, honestly, to me, one of the most fun things is when you and I are playing, we both know the game really well, we're quite evenly matched, and it's a real, you know, head-to-head, and it could go either way. And so I think we want to help those that we play with come to that place, you know, bring them kind of alongside us, help them also truly learn the game so that they can have a totally fair shot at it. Right, and, you know, as we've kind of alluded to, but I don't think we've said explicitly, you know, it's not about going easy on them. No, no, that's kind of insulting, honestly. Right. But it is about helping, you know, equipping them to play the best game that they can. And you, you know, maybe not... Exerting your <laughs> full force, necessarily. Right. You know, try your hardest, but you can try your hardest on a strategy that is not, well, I've won 15 times with this strategy... Right, right. Um, right, and not taking advantage of their lack of knowledge. Well, and hey, switching up your strategy, you learn the game better. True. And you might actually have more fun in, in that game or future games because now you have a fuller understanding of the game as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's an all-around win. I think so. The ultimate win, may I say. <laughs> um, we're going to wrap this up. So until next time... This has been Invite to Game Night. Our favorite things tonight. I want to talk about what is your favorite thing to serve 
or consume on game night? Well, I think traditionally we've been tea people on game night. And I'm not usually a huge tea person, but I kind of like the ritual around, you know, getting everyone to select from the tea cabinet what tea they want for game night. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's a whole part of the, the event. And in terms of food, I found that the, you know, the boom chicka pop sea salt popcorn is really nice to serve because it doesn't make your hands super messy and just kind of a nice balance with the tea, the salty and the tea. So that, that's what I would say for me. Absolutely nothing. We don't serve anything on, on game night. Yeah. Gordy is a little bit of a stickler when it comes to food and drink and games. Like if there's the smallest chance that a drop or a speck of grease could get on a card. Nope. Not happening. <laughs> you do not eat. You do not drink. No. Um, I think pretzels are great. Are we talking soft pretzels or hard pretzels here? Oh, um, the hard pretzels are, I think, a better snack for, for game night. Sure. Um, just, Soft pretzels could be a little greasy. Yeah, but hard pretzels, nothing, and you still get the, the salt. I think they're even less greasy than the, the popcorn, because on the popcorn, you still have a little bit of oil that's that's put on there so the guess, salt can stick. I guess. Um, now, 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 Gordy, I need to know, will you allow Nutella with those pretzels as a dip? This is important. Get out. No, I'm not going to drop <laughs> Nutella on their cards. And I'm also not going to dip my finger in it and like lick it and then <laughs> touch our game pieces. I mean, okay. I'm not an animal. <laughs> Nutella and pretzels, really? Are you sure? Um, you've tried it. You know it's a bomb snack. I do. I'm just not sold on it for game night. I'm going to keep working on you. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Episode four, The Ultimate W, was recorded on May 1st and 6th, despite the best efforts of our cat, for whom every chord looks like a mouse tail. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to continue the conversation with us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you disagree with our conclusions or think we missed something important, send us a message. If there's a topic you think we should cover, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find us at Invite to Game Night. We'd also love if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform. Tune in next time as we discuss all things hospitality for your next game night.